This podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only. Copyright disclaimer under Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976. Allowance is made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, education, and research. Fair use is a use permitted by copyright statute that might otherwise be infringing. All rights and credit go directly to its rightful owners. No copyright infringement intended. to my Gria. I'm your host, Jules Finley, and thank you for joining me on this journey. This is episode H, and H will feature songs and themes that start, obviously, with the letter H. That includes music, film, books, and art this time. Additionally, Corey Cardwell makes another appearance with songs that are complete shit. So this is yet again another long episode, so just sit back and relax and listen. Hello everyone and welcome back to another edition of Migraria. This is episode H and I actually have a lot of things for this episode. But a lot of the things I do have, H seems to be something that I have a lot of things in my various collections that start with H. So this one, well, there's no way around it. It's going to be a long fucking episode. H for hour, as in two fucking hours of this shit, if you can stand to sit through it. And H for honest, because, you know, I'm honestly telling you this is going to be about two fucking hours long. I wouldn't bullshit you. Anyhow, I feel kind of... Hapless or hopeless, two things that start with H that describe my employment situation, which is why I'm having time to devote to the show. I had a great client, great, great contract with a client. I knew it wasn't going to last because it was a contract, but man, you only get good clients to work on their marketing materials once in a great while because most most of the clientele that I've dealt with have been difficult to say the least. But this one I really enjoyed working with. I'll miss it. So that's that's kind of got me down lately. So <laughs> so what am I doing again? Back to looking at the help wanted fucking oh God. It's it's fucking pathetic. Granted, the only upside, and this is actually a, this is the only thing I was gonna say, but the only positive that has come out of this fucking pandemic is that a lot of companies have been forced into allowing their employees to work from home when they could have just done that all along. But, you know, they they didn't they didn't fucking trust their employees and they didn't want to invest any money in having people have their equipment at home. Now, given that my background is more graphic art oriented, the type of shit I do, I've had my equipment, my software, I've had my tools at home all along. And still I would deal with employers that just didn't trust me. But when it comes to like a freelance project, because I bounce back and forth between um, <laughs> how I fill out my tax forms, that is. When I do freelance work, I, I always do that at home. That's that's fine. But I still have shit clients. I'm not saying who, but I've had some really fucking shitty ones. And I'm actually going to tell a story about one of those. That's what's going to cover my um, shitty job report for the <laughs> for this episode. But before I get into that shitty job rant, I just have to say, after looking at some of these jobs, it is just, 
fucking God. It's insulting. I mean, some of the shit that these fucking employers, it, they just, what do they think? It's a, you, if you do it on a computer, it's a fucking magic box and the shit gets done by itself. I mean, I, I don't know what the fuck they expect, but they're trying to pull like the shit just because, well, now that they'll allow remote work, they want to try to pay people less. Never mind. Look at the fucking inflation right now. So you got that going on. Then you got fucking undercutters. <laughs> there is shit that I see in some of these job descriptions. And it's just like, you've heard, if you've listened to other episodes, you've heard me rip apart various real fucking pathetic jobs I've found. Not that I was, not that I was ever considering applying for those. Those were just ones I found, like something caught my eye about them where I even fucking read it. And I'm sitting there like either gagging or laughing at the ridiculousness of them. But the ones I have to seriously look at, there's certain terminology that these employers, I don't know who the fuck, if it's HR or what, I don't know who's fucking doing this shit, but they got to stop with certain words being used in job descriptions. Uh, they got to stop with the with the most cringe inducing term that I fucking hate. I hate, I hate when anybody uses it in any kind of context is game changer that really needs to just go the fuck away. Another that makes me want to puke would be, they say, we're looking for a rock star. And this job, or the job, has nothing to do with music. That noun should never be used in any description of a job that's available, that, that needs to go. It's fucking disgusting. Who's writing this shit? <sighs> Dear God. Another one that needs to go the fuck away is... If there is any sort of design-oriented job, and if they're looking for you to make a fucking NFT, fuck them. Just I, I, That whole thing is about the biggest fucking scam. I can't even go into it right now. It actually, the whole NFT thing makes me fucking sick. But yeah, that's something I keep seeing. NFT, because they want you to, you know, create these horrible graphics so they can make millions on it and you don't make shit. <sighs> okay, other terms when I see these, it's just like, fuck you, is uh, thought leader. <laughs> I hate this fucking world. Blockchain, that's another one that goes hand in hand with NFT. Yeah, those, those are just terms that just need to go the fuck away. Disruptive or disruptor, but used in the context that is supposed to sound like something good or positive. Oh, what the fuck is that? Why is there sirens going off at this hour of the night? Sounds like a fucking tornado alarm. Oh, maybe false alarm. Anyhow, I was seeing the disruptive disruptor used as a, I don't know. I don't even know where they're going with that as, as a fucking plus. <laughs> so the shitty job that I was going to discuss was more of a, a freelance contract. And this, this one was fucking ridiculous. It wasn't so much that the work I did for him was bad. It's just this, these clients were just such fucking assholes. This happened around, I believe, 2004 or five. And I was working for another company full time, mind you. And that job in itself, I could fucking do episodes on how fucking awful that place was. But the manager was this fucking prick who, you know, he'd schmooze with his customers and he'd just volunteer his staff to do things for his customers without even our consent. So I'm toiling away in the office, building their fucking e-commerce site from scratch. 
back before there was shit like Shopify, where you actually had to program the shit. And I had, to get, I had to figure out how to get it to connect to their fucking accounting system too. Mind you, I didn't go to school for programming. And I really didn't have much of a background in programming, but I knew enough to get them established. When I got hired, I was hired as a graphic artist. I get in there, they have me like being a fucking network engineer or something too. And the pay was ridiculous. But that's, okay, okay. I'm not going to go too much into that one. I'm going to go back to this fucking freelance one that just totally is still stuck in my craw to this day. So my fucking manager um, refers his customer. I don't even know what the fuck this guy was buying because the type of goods that were being sold at this particular establishment had to do with fitness. And um, this guy was about as out of shape as it fucking gets. So my manager says, oh, yeah, Julie will do it for you. And I'm just sitting there like, what the fuck? And the guy's like, oh, is that Julie over there? So he just comes over and plops down next to me at my workstation and starts saying, yeah, I, my company needs a website and I don't really know anybody to, I could even ask about it, but your boss over here says that you did it for them and you're good at this. And I'm just thinking, I'm so fucking glad he just, I mean, I wanted to turn the guy down right then and there. Cause like I was already working full time. I didn't have fucking time for this shit. But the thing is the fucking pay I was getting was so bad that I needed the money. I'm like, okay, all right, well, you know, I'm asking the guy what he has in mind. He goes, well, why don't you come down to my business and, you know, we can work it out there. I'm like, all right, fine. A few days later, I take a bus over there because, which was a fucking mistake, mind you, because where this goddamn place was looked like Middle Earth or something. I mean, Cleveland is disgusting, period. But this was, um, this was that kind of fucking place that looks like it's under an overpass <laughs> with chain link fence in fucking barbed wire up and down the street, pit bulls, <laughs> a park that had a bunch of fucking crackheads in it across the street, nowhere to park, potholes and puddles everywhere. And it like, this place looked like it was a converted garage. So I'm thinking, oh, well, maybe this guy is an auto mechanic. That's what I'm thinking. And I walk in there and that's not the case. This place was disgusting. But what it was is this guy, um, he made batteries or I don't know if he made them or he um, sold them, but it was like batteries for, I'm guessing, more industrial equipment. And the place was freezing fucking cold and damp. And he's like, all right, well, let's go in the office. So we go in the office and this office, which I think that they were on the impression this was nice, um, paneling walls, no fucking heat, papers up to the fucking ceiling, nothing organized, it, just a fucking mess, dust all over everything. And he's just like, oh, I was wondering if you could get my computer here hooked up. And I'm just like, I thought you needed me to do a website for you. Well, I need this too. I'll pay you for both. I'm like, all right, well, let me see what you got here. So, I mean, I look at this computer. He goes, it's our brand new system. This fucking system was nowhere near being brand new. I have a feeling, okay, that like I said, this was around 2005. And yeah, this shit would be out of date now. But this shit, I believe, was probably bought in 97 and it had never been hooked up. It was just sitting there. So he's like, yeah, I want to get, I want you to get me on the internet too. Mind you, this fucking thing didn't even, <laughs> this thing didn't even have a modem in the fucking computer, plus nowhere to put it into the wall. And I'm like, well, in order to get you on the internet, I need it. I need something to get you hooked up to even a phone line for that matter. Oh, I don't have another jack for that. So um, what, what can you do for me? Could you rewire it? I'm like, no, no. Okay, we're getting out of my scope at this point. But this guy, for whatever reason, thought uh, a website and setting up his out-of-date computer were the same fucking thing, I guess. So as I'm doing all this shit, I'm, I'm trying to get this thing working. 
and it's just sitting on a, a desk that is just fucking filthy. And I'm, I opened up some drawers because I'm like, all right, when I finally got the system on, there wasn't even an operating system on it. So I, I opened the drawers to see if there was like some software that they just, you know, maybe just stored it there or whatever. I opened the drawer. The drawers are filled with mouse shit and a fucking dead rat was in the bottom drawer. <laughs> I should have just fucking walked away at that point. And <laughs> I'm just thinking to myself, what the what the fuck is going on here? How the hell did I get myself into this situation? How the fuck? <laughs> this is not, this is not even my area, but yet I knew more than these fucking Nimrods did. So I just said, I came out of the office. I was like, I can't hook up your computer. I go, you don't have an operating system. You got a fucking dead rat in the desk. There's mouse shit everywhere. You don't even have a place to, a grounded plug to plug in a fucking power strip. I just, I couldn't even believe it. I mean, there's, there's, um, I have some patience for the computer illiterate, but this was beyond this. This guy might've been, he might as well have been pulled out of like the 1900s, I guess, with his level of expertise on anything that had to do with technology. <sighs> so after I said, I can't help you there, he said, well, I'll, I'll have you, I'll, I'll let you deal with my assistant. So this guy comes in, this guy's fucking breath stunk so fucking bad. I can still smell how bad his breath is years fucking later. It was a certain kind of decomposition stink to it. So this guy was fucking dying, like rotting from the inside out. I swear to God. And he just starts talking to me about all his problems, like his, how poor he is and his wife is a bitch. And, and all. I'm like, what the fuck? What has this got to do with anything? I mean, I had to get going. I had to go catch a bus this guy's talking my ear off. The fucking one bus that comes by an hour goes by. Fuck. Now I got to stick around here longer and I'll probably end up like fucking raped or murdered or some shit. <laughs> so this guy's talking my ear off and, and talking about his finances and talking about his kids and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, uh -huh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, all right, well, what do you guys want with this website? That's why I'm here. Well, we want you to get like a, a store on the web. So this guy was at least able to articulate that they wanted, that they basically wanted an e-commerce site. I'm like, all right, well, where's your logo so I can get some branding? Logo, we don't have one of those. I could, you have a business card? Anything? Any kind of branding to speak of? Uh, we got the sign outside. The sign was one of those fucking signs where you put like the, you move the letters around in it. All right, I go, you guys have no visual identity. We don't know what. <sighs> so I had to break it down. I'm like, oh, first of all, I'm not doing anything with your computer system in here. I go, it's already fucking out of date. There's nothing I can do because you don't even have the, you don't even have this place set up where I could do something like that. So let's just concentrate on, all right, first of all, let's get you a visual identity. So I had to create a logo for these idiots, business cards, letterhead, shit like that. First things first, let's get that going before we even get into the idea of a website because yeah, you needed something visual to tie it together. I mean, they didn't get this, but whatever. So I, I did all this fucking shit for them. And these fuckheads, it took a year and a half for them to pay me. A year and a fucking half. Because I had to, I had to threaten to take them to court to get them to pay me. And every fucking time I'd like contact them about it was some sob story. I got to the point where I'm like, I don't give a fuck what's wrong with you people. I don't give a fucking shit. I hope your fucking, your, your wife is on death's door at this point. Pay me or I'm fucking suing you. And I shouldn't have to get worked up just to get paid for work that I had done. And I'm like, you fuckheads signed this, you signed the contract. I gave you a contract. You signed it. There was a date you were supposed to pay it by. I don't give a 
fuck what's going on with you, your personal lives, your business. Fucking pay me and pay me now. I still had to wait. I still had to fucking wait. I should have taken these assholes to Judge Judy because here's the other thing. They were banking on the fact that they knew that I wasn't of, um, that I didn't have any money either. So they figured I didn't have a fucking lawyer. They're right. I guess they called my bluff on that. But the idea that I would even have to like um, solicit a lawyer <laughs> to get paid the me. And here's the thing. They got me so cheap for the work that I fucking did or did for them. And then these fucking assholes, I gave them all the, when I finally got paid, I gave them all the information of what they needed to do to keep their website active on the internet. Do you think these fuckheads could do that? Of course, as soon as the fucking, the domain expires, so does the fucking website. Oh my God. And the, and the thing is, and that's, I don't even know if that's the worst scenario I've ever had, but that has got to be the most pathetic one that I can think of all my years of being employed. I've had situations where it's, I've had a worse scenario of how I was treated, but this was like, this was like fucking who's on first Abbott Costello bad. All right. Enough about that shit job. Let's get into this H episode. There is a lot of stuff in my collection that starts with H. And there's a um, one with a common name throughout who will be featured in this particular um, show. And they all have the moniker of Harvey. <laughs> I think you know where I'm going with this. So obviously during the show, you'll be hearing PJ Harvey, Mick Harvey, and the sensational Alex Harvey band. So on that note, let's start this one. We'll go with PJ on this one. Ladies first. So what I'm going to play is from her 2011 Let England Shake album, which was fucking remarkable. She's had some good shit. She's had some so-so things, but that particular album was just off the fucking wall. Fantastic. So I'm going to play what I found to be, I'd say the most, I mean, they're all, it's a conceptual album and all the songs are interlinked story-wise, but the one that really stood out to me was um, On Battleship Hill. So I'm going to play On Battleship Hill by PJ Harvey.
T.J. Harvey with On Battleship Hill from her 2011 Let England Shake album. That is such a beautiful song, let alone the whole album is, is such an interesting concept. I think she's gotten better with age, definitely, because I remember her when she first came out, probably around, I think, 92-ish. Now, the first song I ever heard by her was uh, Sheila Nagig from her first album, Dry, and I really wasn't all that keen on it. To me, it came across as being underproduced, and I don't tend to pick on things that are underproduced, and sometimes things that are overproduced are just too slick, but it was like the recording of that album. I don't know if it's been remastered. I haven't really followed that kind of shit, but it should be because the recording quality is very muffled, and here I am picking on audio quality and listen to the fucking shittiness of my show. But as far as like, you know, this, this isn't, my platform isn't anything professional, it's DIY. This was something that was done in a studio and it sounded like it was recorded through a fucking wall. Not the song, the songs weren't bad, it's just that they were poorly recorded. And I wasn't taken in by PJ to begin with. When she came around, they played the video for Sheila and the Gig. Video's cheap, sounds bad. I just figured she was just another one of these twat rockers that were somewhere like the missing link between... I don't know, not as not as filthy as a riot girl, not grunge, but teeter-tawing on angry feminism, but not not going over the top with it. I guess I, I guess I was kind of picturing her along the lines of <clears throat> like Liz Fair or Julianne Hatfield, two that I really could never get into. I thought they sucked. I thought she was kind of along the lines of that, but I guess she was she was more marketed to be like the missing link between like that throwing muses, belly, breeders, and Tori Amos and Bjork. And there is like this photograph of PJ Tori and Bjork that was, I can't even remember what magazine it was in, but it was, you know, it was this sort of these young, interesting women on the, on the scene. And the thing is at the time, I really didn't feel like she had any, she was anywhere on the same spectrum as Bjork or Tori Amos. I thought she was actually too normal <laughs> to, to be on the same wavelength. But as time has gone on, she is so much more interesting than those two. And they're all, all three of those women are talented, but I'd say the, the least talented is probably Bjork. Not that she's untalented. I just, I just can't get into her shit. And Tori Amos is probably musically the most talented, but I can't fucking take her shit. I really can't. I met her once and I'll just leave it at that. That was, that was enough for me. PJ, on the other hand, she has like, she kind of is more of a third person storyteller. And some people have misinterpreted it as it being very first person, but it it really isn't. I mean, come on. If, if that was the case, then she'd be the biggest bullshitter on the face of the earth. <laughs> but the thing is, she writes from the first person perspective, but it's a third person narrative. Didn't like it so much at first, but she has totally developed into such a fucking important current musician. And yeah, she has gotten better with age. She has honed her craft. No doubt about that. Can easily call myself a fan. And not that I liked every single album, but she takes risks that that a lot of musicians just don't take. And she's she just has such a fucking... She has so much to offer, really. Aside to being stunningly beautiful, who's fucking aging absolutely gracefully. Well, whatever. Okay, let's move on. Speaking of aging and changes and shit, here's something I wanted to talk about a bit. Since the show is called Migoria, and for those who didn't listen from the beginning, what Migoria stands for, it's a combination of words, migraines and diarrhea. Migoria 
things that I deal with far too often, but there's been a change. I still deal with migraines, maybe not to the extent that when I, when I first started the show, because uh, Botox has helped. Um, also, the um, preventative drug, which is like a beta blocker, that seems to be helping a little bit too to that I don't get as many. And oh yeah, the when I actually do get a migraine attack now, I don't know how long this is going to be covered for. Hopefully my health, starts with H, health insurance, will continue to cover the drug known as Nurtec, which is a newer drug on the market for migraines. And let me fucking tell you, this shit really does work really well, but it, <laughs> it absolutely has to be a migraine. It can't just be a headache. Because sometimes it's hard to tell where it's fucking going when you get these things, when you get an, uh, an attack of this shit. You don't realize when your head starts hurting, it could just stay as a normal tension headache. That's what can be treated with over-the-counter shit. But when it's a migraine, it always starts off feeling that it's like a headache, at least for me. Then it just turns into a fucking nightmare. So I will say, hopefully I can keep having my uh, medical insurance cover Nurtec because the shit's working really well. But here was another thing I was going to mention since we were, since the show, like I said, it's migraine, diarrhea, migraria. Strangely, I'm not getting diarrhea anymore. And I think I know why, because I started taking Wellbutrin in December. And before that, I pretty much had the shits constantly. I don't know what the fuck is in this stuff, but now I'm like constipated. So I'm not changing the name of the show to like Constamigrania or whatever. I don't know. I'm not doing that. However, a problem that still exists that, that can fit into this title is menorrhea. And menorrhea fucking sucks. This is not a new development. This is something I always dealt with. It's excessive menstrual bleeding. <laughs> You're all sitting there going, all right, a fucking enough, Julie. We don't want to hear about the fucking rag. Yeah, and by the, by the way, I just said that too. I said my own name, Julie, not Jules. I'm starting to feel like I don't want to use my nickname any longer. And, well, well I do and I don't. I do, I guess, because this is not a, pro a professional arrangement. But I feel like I, I'm kind of outgrowing it in a way. I just turned 46 this past month. I'm a fucking old bitch <laughs> and it's kind of depressing to know that I'm fucking one more year closer to the whole H for whole a saying that my dad's been saying I've been hearing him say that fucking line since I was probably a toddler every birthday equals another year closer to the whole the six foot hole that's what he means by that in case you didn't get it <laughs> so 46 and still feeling like I'm just spinning my wheels going nowhere. Um, hmm. Where was I? Yeah, see, that's, that's another thing I'm starting to lose. Not that I wasn't tangenting before. I was. It's just getting worse with age. It's really getting bad lately. I can't fucking concentrate on shit. It's because, you know, in case you haven't realized it yet, your host has ADHD too. <laughs> I'm just not hyper. Because if I was hyper, I'd probably be talking at the speed of an auctioneer. And I stutter too much for that. So on that note, since I'm feeling so insecure about aging, because it sucks, it really fucking sucks. Here's a song that I can fucking fully relate to, even though it's sung from the, a male's perspective. It captures the 
the anxieties and the shittiness of aging. And this song is by Harry Howard in the Near Death Experience. This is Old Man Blues.
That was Roland S. Howard with Sleep Alone from his 1999 album, Teenage Snuff Film. And uh, it's no coincidence that I played Harry Howard in the near-death experience back-to-back with Roland S. Howard because those two are brothers. Um, Unfortunately, Roland is no longer with us, and um, I was a very big fan. Very, I I can't say was. I'm still a huge fan of Roland S. Howard. I think I always will be. His passing was untimely and very, very sad. Actually, every time I listen to Roland these days, I get so fucking sad. So it's bittersweet to listen to him. Uh, Another musician that was in on that recording was Mick Harvey, which he'll be coming up soon enough (laughs) in in this particular podcast. I mean, I played him in the last podcast to make a point about how great the his uh, Serge Gainsbourg tributes were. But this time, when I play him, I'm going to focus in on him. <laughs> not what he did for other people, not what, what he did with other people, him and only him. And we'll get to that soon enough. In the meantime, however, let's see. I think it may be time to discuss film. <laughs> Oh, yes, what I've been fucking obsessing about lately, and not just any old film, Hammer Horror Films, (laughs) and that starts with H, so there you go. Uh, There was no way this wasn't going to make its way again (laughs) to another podcast where I talk about the two main stars of that being Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, who are quickly becoming, I think, my two favorite actors of all time. (laughs) And where do I start with like another film that they were both in? Well, I should probably talk about one that was a Hammer picture that they were both in. I'm going to kind of not do that, actually. I'm, I'm bringing them up, but what I'm, what I'm going to do instead is talk about what's related to Hammer and Hammer films. I recently acquired as gifts for both Christmas and my birthday uh, three books about the Hammer legacy, basically. And they're all by an author named Marcus Hearn. And the three books were the poster art of Hammer Productions, which, of course, I I fucking really wanted that one. It's basically a catalog of all, well, I don't know, actually not all of it, a a good majority of the archive of um, the Hammer Horror films and the artists that, that, that did them. And, you know, not all of them are in English, too. So there is a huge variety of just fucking outstanding poster art from a bygone era where there was they actually tried. It wasn't just fucking photoshopped heads overlaying one another. (laughs) Things were fucking illustrated. Photo montages were a process, to to say the least. And, man, I that fucking book is the shit. The second of the three books that I got was Hammer Glamour. And Hammer Glamour is a book that's a tribute to all the ladies that were in Hammer Productions. There's over a hundred different hot chicks in this book that cover all of the, well, I mean, it catalogs in that as well as what movies each of these ladies were in. Various promotional artwork that went with that. Lots of pinup shots of women that were all I can say is this, if that book wasn't sealed in plastic when I got it, I wouldn't have been surprised if the pages were stuck together, okay? <laughs> and I wouldn't have blamed Jim for doing so. 
Because <laughs> uh, given the 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 fine quality of the Hammer women, holy fucking shit! Let me just put it this way: females in their fashionable shit in this day and age is fucking garbage compared to this. All these fucking chicks want to look like Kardashians with those fucking caterpillar eyebrows. Fucking so much foundation on. It looks like it was put on with a fucking spatula. And and I am obviously no stranger to makeup. I've been fucking wearing heavy makeup for years, but not like that. Not where you look like you could just fucking scrape it off my face. Like a scratch off card or some shit. Anyhow, um, yeah, and there is no plastic surgery on these women. I mean, if there was, it might have been a nose job. Who cares, you know? These fucking women were just un-fucking-believable. So if any of you gentlemen, or maybe some of you ladies out there, are looking for some wank material, I highly recommend Hammer Glamour. <laughs> and the third book of the Hammer trilogy of books that I received was, this one I got for my birthday was The Hammer Vault. And now this one, it has, it covers, it's a little more in depth text-wise because it gives you the history of each film in some kind of two to three page spread of the behind the scenes shit, on, you know, photography, stuff that was taken off the set, posters, any difficulties or whatever that occurred on set. This is so fucking thorough. I mean, I sat there. I'm I'm still making my way through it. There's like, this is going to take some time for me to get through like every detail in this book. But these fucking books, these are so well put together too. They're all hardcover. They're all very glossy. Everything looks fucking fabulous in it. You know, coming from a design perspective, typography, book layout, print Everything is fantastic in these fucking books, let alone the subject matter is just fucking great. Without giving away too much, well, I mean, yeah, I just gave you three fucking book reviews. None of them about none of them about any stories per se, but it's not really it's more reference material than an actual story. So on that note, here's something else that I got in my treasure trove of hammer items is that I also received for my birthday the CD of Hammer Har classic themes from 1958 to 1974. So these are all like the main themes of the various various films. And there's a it's a it's a compilation. It's a fucking awesome compilation, I gotta say. So on this one, I am going to play from Dracula AD 1972. And that's just the name of the, the song. It's the theme music. The this the in the trailer, not really in the trailer. Well, maybe they but they may, may have put it in the trailer, but it's the theme music for the film. Dracula AD 1972. Now that was one of the one of the Dracula films that both Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee starred in because. To give you a quick overview of the Dracula films and how many there actually were, Christopher Lee was in eight of them. And there's two extra ones that he wasn't in. Now, he wasn't in the second one, which is Brides of Dracula. That was Peter Cushing as Van Helsing, battling some other fucking dickhead that was uh, some rich guy that was turning the local chicks in a prep school type of thing, turning the girls into his, you know, brides. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, Van Helsing rings supreme in that one. But thereafter, 
they bring Christopher Lee back into the series, but I don't know why they didn't bring back Van Helsing. That really didn't make any sense. So there's like about five films in between. And yes, they're all, they're kind of a replay of themselves. And Christopher Lee apparently was fucking sick of doing this shit. That apparently from when I was reading the books and shit that Hammer Productions would almost like guilt trip him into keep starring as Dracula because he was a fucking moneymaker. And yeah, he was going to get paid, but it's what kept the studio going were the draw of these, especially him and Peter Cushing as actors. And there's other actors that have, you know, come from the whole Hammer house. And Oliver Reed would be one. Um, And uh, let's see. Raquel Welch, she got her fucking um, fame from starring in because of her fucking hotness. Ursula Andress would be another one, um, you know, because Hammer gave a lot of people some springboards of when they weren't really given, you know, chances before. Mostly eye candy uh, who had maybe not so much acting experience. They didn't use they didn't use too many of the same women over and over again. There's a few they used several times because they could act like Barbara Shelley. She was stunning and um she was in several of the films and same thing with Ingrid Pitt. She was another one that could act and, you know, had the allure like you wouldn't believe. So with back to Dracula, AD 1972, that was when they reintroduced Peter Cushing back into the Dracula series. And this, what differs from this one to other Dracula films is that it's supposed to take place in, in modern times, not older Gothic horror it's supposed to take place in 1972, hence the name. So there's a lot of things that in it that are of the era. And the theme, the, the, the film score theme to this is very indicative of the times. It's done by a composer named Michael Vickers, who actually was in the group Manford Man. And uh, yeah, I fucking completely fucking love the sound of this. It's, it's, it's got that, you know, 70s fucking kick you in the balls kind of um, theme to it. And another thing, there's something floating around on YouTube that's been there for a while. Somebody took the same theme and they made, they, they put together a basically another, um, they took the took scenes from Dracula 80, 80, 1972 and slapped it together and made it look like a 70s TV show called The Helsing Mysteries. And they play this, this theme song and it is fucking great. I wish this was a show that actually existed. Because, man, that would be the fucking coolest show ever fucking made. All right, whatever. I'm getting a little overworked here because I just fucking can't... I can't contain my my enthusiasm for Hammer and Cushing and Lee and all that shit. So much so that I now am the purveyor of two fucking action figure dolls. I can't even fucking believe that I'm admitting, but some of you already know that I have action figures of Van Helsing and Dracula. And they, yes, they look like both Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. They, it was uh, the Mego Corporation that put these out. They've been making like, like kind of like fan dolls since I believe the seventies. I mean, I had, as a kid, I had Mork and Mindy dolls that were made by Mego and they're almost the size of a Barbie doll, but not quite. But all I can say is, man, why couldn't I have had these as a fucking kid, man? Because Ken sucked. Ken dolls totally sucked. I don't know. Enough of that. Let's play Dracula 80, 1972 by Michael Vickers from the Hammer Har Classic Themes 1958 to 1974 original soundtrack recordings. 
set marks, gators. I'm gon' go get me some of that city hot horse. <laughs> yeah. Chovy chaser, frisky young cult, this damn Virginia, some frontline frippin' who knows how to rip it. I didn't say everything had to start with H as far as the band name. What you just had the pleasure of hearing was Scraping Fetus Off the Wheels Hot Horse from the 1984 Hole album. So there is two, excuse me, three words there that start with H. Hot, horse, and hole. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I was As I was sitting there listening to the, the Hammerhar film score stuff, I was uh, just thinking about Jim Thurwell's various forays into music that sounds very similar to that. And as I was sitting there listening, I'm like, yep, hot horse. I got to put it in. <laughs> well, anyhow, 
It is now time. We're about halfway through this episode, and um, it is time for our guest to uh, douse us with another version, another taste of songs that are complete shit. Take it away, Corey. Ugh, what a piece of fucking shit this song is. I said it with Billy Ray asshole. This is another song that is absolute, complete dog shit. It's a fact, and if you like this song, slap yourself right now. Creed, consisting of Scott Staff, Mark Tremonti, Brian Marshall, Scott Phillips, and Brian Brasher. Formed in 1993 with a knack for Christian music background, Disclaimer, I'm not making fun of someone's religion background, so get off my ass. They released this gash in April 2000. Mr. Staff wrote this shit when he found out he was gonna be a daddy. Aww. This song blows more than anything on the planet. It's a bland-ass song, and they never, ever wrote anything that was of any good. Period. End of story. Never wrote anything good. Again, I cannot stress enough that people need to cut the shit and use your musical brains. This fucking shit shot to number one here in America and in Canada. Stop it. Stop. Just fucking stop. Get some goddamn taste, you ungodly minions, okay? My arms are wide open to pimp slap this effing band and anyone that likes this shit as well. It sucks, and there is no redeeming them. End of story. Done. Here's the thing. I know that fucking Jim has that CD. <laughs> Excuse and, me? Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, does he listen to it? No. Can and you only use it as a coaster? <sighs> I should, but no, I'm not that cruel. Even, even if it's one of the worst things... I don't even know if it's the worst thing he owns. It's one of the worst, but that that's that one is unfucking bearable. But yeah, the only reason why I even knew he had it is because you know I seem to have to fucking alphabetize our CD collection every time we move, <laughs> or or we or I do this alphabetizing when he doesn't put shit away after he's fucking done with it. Mm-hmm. So I, and it's not and the thing is it's not even so much of me being anal retentive about having the shit in order. It's just I want to be able to find it again. Right. And not have to dig through. I mean, because I got tons of shit. I don't want to be digging all day. Exactly. So, yeah, I was pull, calling the C section and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is this doing in here? Yeah, there, there's Creed and he's <laughs> he also has Puddle of Mud, too. <laughs> oh. I shit you not. <laughs> Well, I, I can't really sit there and get down on Puddle of Mud because the band that I was in for 18 years, we did, <clears throat> she, she fucking hates me. Mm-hmm. That's probably the only one I can tolerate by them. The rest, I, I really can't. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I can't tolerate it either. Um, there's a few others, but, well, I mean, what can I say? We're all from the fucking 90s, you know, mm-hmm. like that. Of course, <clears throat> I'm proud to say I don't own any of that shit and never did. No. No, no, no. And like, ah, oh, God, I can, you know, thinking about like the times we uh, went to shit like the K-Rockathon. <laughs> and there was a lot of crap. There was some good stuff. There was some good stuff in the beginning of K-Rockathon. But yeah. that thing just progressively got worse and worse and worse and worse. And I'm just like, I, I'm done. I, I'm so done. 
you know, the only ones I can honestly recall that there actually was semi-decent stuff there. I don't know if I, I mean, I can't get into it now, but it didn't bother me at the time. Was that one where, uh, God, Space Hog was playing at it? And, um, yes. uh, the, I think the Reverend Horton Heat was also playing the same, I'm not sure it was the same day, because, I mean, they always had it at the horse racetrack, and it was always a thousand fucking degrees outside, and no fucking place to sit in the shade. Wait, wasn't that uh, Lollapalooza? <laughs> that too. They both were like, oh, the way the, what in Lollapalooza the beginning, beginning they had them yeah. at the Vernon Downs racetrack. Well, no, not Lollapalooza. Lollapalooza had at the Saratoga racetrack. I remember that. Yeah. yeah okay. Okay. And mm-hmm. they also had um, shit. They had they had Lollapalooza at. I think it, fuck, where the hell? I think it was outside of Syracuse, but I'm thinking maybe Weedsport or something. Yes, you're right. They had okay. Weedsport. And I, then some some fucking shithole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it was Yeah, it was in some dump. I remember that. It was like fucking dirty, like everywhere. And everything was like, you know, it looked like a fucking bomb hit it or something. Literally. Yeah, it was really scuzzy. Um, yeah, the, the K-Rockathons, they always had them at the Vernon Downs horse racetrack. Man, there is not one fucking anywhere you can get from you can i mean you know how fucking white i am <laughs> i mean i would i probably have skin cancer now from that shit and i'll tell you let me tell you it wasn't worth skin cancer for seeing some of that shit <laughs> but no i like yeah the one that i'm thinking of it definitely yeah it had reverend horton he was there and i can't really say i'm into them at all anymore either i mean i had my I appreciated them for a while, but I that fucking ran its course where I got bored with it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there was, yeah, I guess the Space Hog was there. They didn't last, even though they weren't bad. They just didn't last. Oh, yeah. The Butthole <laughs> Surfers. You remember they were like the fucking yeah. headliners and they had like that strobe light that was going on. Like through, like not even a strobe. It was more like a floodlight that, that, that was like kind of it was pulsing, not as fast as a strobe, but like slower. But it was like just one after the next and it was really like nauseating i remember mm-hmm. that and it, and it was to induce um people to get sick in the audience i don't I remember- understand how they became the headliner i i, I really don't that makes well, no sense to me it, you know the thing is out of the out of the bands that were at that lineup they were the only ones that actually had a career before that that's the only way only thing i can really say i mean they mm-hmm. they had a lengthy period of time where they were, you know, they did their, their albums and shit for, I could never really get into them. I didn't really like them or hate them. I'm just kind of, you know, whatever, but no, they were the only ones that had a career. Most, most of the, most of the bands that were playing that other that, yeah, well, the Reverend Horton, he had a couple albums out too, but not that many, but everyone else was like, it was like their debut sort of thing. So they didn't really have much to play. When it comes down to it. (laughs) Yeah. That's a, that's about it. And I, I definitely remember, when the butthole surfers were playing like there is you know the, the fucking bros well they, we didn't really have a word for them back then but they're the equivalent of bros now mm-hmm. that were like are they gonna play pepper <laughs> <laughs> and they were just you know they were they were kind of freaked out by what the fuck was going on they're just kind of like what is this shit you know 
Like, this is our other music, asshole. It's, it's not, like, they play Pepper all the time. Right. And well, the thing is, besides that, like, Pepper was really not indicative of what they sounded like anyway. So it made yeah. it even funnier that they had a hit with that, which I think that's pro. I'm pretty sure that's the only reason why they did it that way is that they would have one hit, people would buy it, they'd get the rest of the album and go, what the fuck? Yeah, that they had. I mean, that's that sounds like something that you know they would have consciously done anyway because they were such that's their kind of sense of humor as it was anyway. But I'm gonna bring this to an end here. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me on, Margareta. Thank you so so much, ma'am. Well, hold on, let's get this straight how it's pronounced. It's migraria, two words together. Migraria, migraine, okay, you know, spliced with diarrhea. Two things you know and I migraines. always have. Yeah, migraines and diarrhea, migraria. Migraria. I got Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Corey, and we will see you again on another future broadcast. Yes, Take care. Please have me back. I'll be there. Nope, fuck this shit. Let's listen to the hives instead.
And that was The Hives with Die, all right, from Veni Vidi Vicious from around the year 2000. They're one of the few bands that, well, I mean, they technically came out before the year 2000, but they got, you know, noticed after 2000 that have remained consistent. I genuinely like them. They, they, knew how to, they know how to present themselves. First of all, they go with the, the same signature black and white look with their clothing matching ensemble. It looks awesome. It really does. Every single time, every variation has looked cool. And it matches right along with any kind of branding or marketing. It's down to a T. Their front man, Howling Pell Almquist. It could be, I might be saying that wrong. I know it goes by Howling Pell. Pelle, maybe. Um, <laughs> excuse me. My Swedish isn't that uh, strong. I've seen the hives perform twice and I was able to photograph both times. That is such a fun fucking show to see. There is... They're one of the few that actually know how to put on a show. They, they're over the top with it. They're like, cockiness is part of the act. That's what makes it so fucking... It's like comical, but it just rocks, too. I absolutely enjoy the Hives. Out of like those garage rock bands that were predominant in the early 2000s, like them, the White Stripes, the, the Vines, the Strokes. You know, obviously I delved into all, all of those bands at some point, and... The ones I ended up liking the most were easily the Hives and then probably the White Stripes. And both do put on really good live shows. I prefer the Hives, though. They're fucking great. But, you know, I've noticed I haven't played nearly enough stuff with synthesizers in it during this this uh, podcast. So let me rectify that. So I'm going to play uh, Heaven 17's Penthouse and Pavement from their Penthouse and Pavement album. Swim. 
Keep on shoveling, keep on shoveling, keep on shoveling, shoveling the ashes, chiseling the surface, fire in the furnace, a hammer in the anvil, hammer in the anvil.
that was the sensational Alex Harvey band with The Hammer Song from 1972, their debut album called Framed. I think I have way too many references to Hammer in this episode. <laughs> Alex Harvey, man, he was he was quite the character. One interesting tidbit of information, although the sensational Alex Harvey band really did not um, make it big in the United States, but one of the only cities that really fully embraced them was Cleveland, of all places. Go figure. They had pockets of fame. They had their popularity around the world and all the places they needed it to be. But in the United States, it just it never happened for them. I don't know why. I don't know how the cleave holers understood any of the um, antics. I don't know. Maybe people were smarter in Cleveland back then because they're certainly not now. <laughs> The late, great Alex Harvey, the sensational Alex Harvey. I share a birthday with him. Um, yep, he was born on February 5th, 1935, and he died on February 4th, the day before his fucking birthday, day before his 47th birthday. Shit, I just thought of something that just came, kind of gave me chills. I'm, I'm on my 46th year. I just turned 46, and uh, um, I hope I uh, outlive... The sensational Alex, I really do. Oh, God, I just got creeped out thinking about that. Despite being creeped out, I do take great pride in sharing a birthday with the late, great, sensational Alex Harvey. I take pride in sharing a birthday with someone that I totally fucking get. Um, but yeah, you know, there's some other people that were that share that same birthday to February 5th. Well, I mean, there's some fucking assholes that do, I'm sure of it. And some insignificance. <laughs> but um, as far as people that are worth mentioning that uh, were born on February 5th, other than myself and Alex Harvey, the number one soccer, well, football player in the on the fucking planet, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo from uh, Madeira, Portugal. Yes, he's Portuguese, and I know I've mentioned how much I... Maybe I didn't mention it, but I it's one of those fucking countries on Earth I wish I could move to. I would fucking go back there in a heartbeat. The actor, comedian, writer, Christopher Guest, who is responsible for such classics as, as Spinal Tap, Best in Show, Waiting for Guffman, A Mighty Wind, um, Mascots, that was actually pretty good, too. And he's also Mr. Jamie Lee Curtis. So he's a cool one, definitely. Let's see who else was born on this day. Um, the actress Charlotte Rampling, who I really like her too. And she's a, a ballsy actress that really took a fucking risk when she did The Night Porter back in the 70s. Holy crap. I mean, that movie could have basically ruined her career, but she was also Mrs. Jean-Michel Jarre. Let's see, the uh, the artist H.R. Geiger, that's another one. Uh, William S. Burroughs, which I could take or leave. Bet you you're surprised to hear that, because most people assume I'm this fucking Burroughs fan, because I'm into weird shit, but uh, I could fucking give a shit. Uh, let's see who else. Oh, the, the musician Al Cooper, who used to be in Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Al Cooper, not Alice Cooper. With him, the reason why I bring him up is when I was a kid, my dad had one of his albums. And I know it came out in 1976, the year of my birth, and the album was called Act Like Nothing's Wrong. 
And the album had him on the cover with his head um, superimposed on a naked woman's body. And on the back side, it was the woman's head on his body. This fucking album used to scare the fucking shit out of me. That cover used to freak me out. And ironically, there was another Blood, Sweat, and Tears album that my father had that also had another fucking creepy cover on it. I can't remember the name of the album, but all the band members were like holding like what looked like a puppet of themselves on their lap, like a smaller version. I mean, it sounds sounds cool in theory, but it oh, it is such a fucking creepy album cover. And so is this fucking Al Cooper one. One other I should I should mention is um, John Spencer from the John Spencer Blues Explosion. He's also in Heavy Trash, Pussy Galore, Boss Hog with his incredibly hot wife, um, Christina Martinez. But the last person I was going to mention who uh, shared shared this birthday was uh, the, the actor John Carradine, another old school horror actor. And he also has starred in um, the type of not and he didn't star he didn't star in Hammer films. But I just watched a movie with him and it also had Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing and Vincent Price. Seriously, I couldn't believe all four of these, these, these guys were in one film together. So from 1982, a movie that starts with H, House of the Long Shadows. Let's listen to the trailer in audio format because it's really worth it just to listen to Vincent Price alone. All I need is somewhere I can have total isolation and above all, atmosphere. What lives in this house? No one would want to live in Balpatermana. What stalks these halls? It's a cursed place. Yes, I saw the movie. What hides in these shadows? And who is playing that piano? <coughs> Welcome to the House of the Long Shadows, home of mystery, <coughs> suspense, danger. And now the four masters of horror are moving in, Vincent Price. We came here this evening to unlock the final door to our destiny. Christopher Lee. It would seem, Mr. McGee, that we are imprisoned here. Peter Cushing. It is all I have ever known. Fear. John Carradine. Death is our only true destiny. Joined by Desi Arnaz. You ain't seen nothing yet. House of the Long Shadows. You could lose your life. Worse. Will this talented young man wager his very life for one night? With this girl and these strange bedfellows. House of the Long Shadows. There's one missing. What is its diabolical secret? And suddenly, out he jumps. He didn't even look human. Which key unlocks the horrible truth? I'm afraid it has begun. And who spiked the punch? House of the Long Shadows. It's delightfully puzzling. It would appear that you are creating a mystery where there is none. And a frightfully good time. You must have heard us singing. House of the Long Shadows. The murderously funny mystery with a twist. Yes, I see what you mean. House of the Long Shadows. Vincent Price, that's me, Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, John Carradine, and Desi Arnaz in a Golan Globus production of a Pete Walker film, House of the Long Shadows. 
cannon releasing. And Carradine plays the father, which is kind of funny because, I mean, all his sons are in it, which Cushing plays his son, Sebastian, who is a nervous wreck with a speech impediment and drinks when he's nervous, which is funny because Peter Cushing didn't drink in real life. And his brother, Lionel, in it is played by Vincent Price. And Christopher Lee is also in this. And he plays a character named Corrigan, who is sort of a mystery. And uh, Cushing, or Sebastian, I should say, lovingly refers to him as Waterick, which he's trying to say the name Roderick. So the age range um, between these actors, Cushing and Vincent Price are pretty close in age. I think maybe Vincent Price is only two years older than him. It would fit, you know, if they were brothers. Christopher Lee is younger than everyone else in it, even though he was not young. I'd say he's maybe 12 years younger than Cushing. John Carradine was only about 10 years older than Vincent Price. I mean, he looked like he was on his last legs in this film. But when this was filmed, he was playing Vincent Price and and Peter Cushing's father. And he wasn't that much older than either one of them. And yes, John Carradine was like, I mean, he looked like a dead man walking in it, but the other two weren't too far behind. Well, the film House of the Long Shadows... It also starred Desi Arnaz, and he was actually like the main character in it. It all kind of focuses around him. He's like a writer who um, his agent, who's a, a British publisher, sets him up in this house in rural Wales. And he makes a bet where he can write a book that's on par with Wuthering Heights within 24 hours or less. But when he gets there, I mean, the house is supposed to be abandoned, no electricity. He's thinking that he'll get inspired by his surroundings. Oh, he does all right, because when he arrives, so does these various characters. They come in in secession, starts initially with John Carradine and um, an actress who plays his daughter, who's also an elderly woman. I don't know the name of the actress. I didn't look it up either. So who comes in first as far as like the shadows that come in? First, it's Peter Cushing, then it's Vincent Price, and then it's Christopher Lee. This movie's a horror comedy. And I fucking loved it. Of course I loved it. Like I was going to dislike this movie. It was just so amazing that they had, they had all four of these men in it when they were, they're elderly in it. Christopher Lee, I wouldn't really say he was elderly. He was just older, but the other three were definitely elderly. There, it was, it was, it was a silly, silly film. Funny, you know, has an interesting concept. I can't tell you what happens in it really, except that it's about a crazy family. I don't want to tell you, I don't want, I don't want to give away what happens in it because it's actually worth seeking out. So on that note, I think I'm done rambling about film, film for this episode. So on that note, I'm going to play uh, that crazy, crazy broad known as Nina Hagen. Okay, let's play Zara off of her 1983 Fearless album. Keine Liebe vergehen, 
Stern und dein Schicksal ist doch meins. Du bist mir fern und doch nicht fern, denn unsere Seelen sind eins. Und, 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 und
There I go again, playing a song that starts with H and not the band. That was Simple Minds, Hunter and the Hunted from New Gold Dream, 81, 82, 83, 84, from 1982. And I have to say, it's probably up there with one of my favorite songs by them. And that album is fucking perfect. I cannot stress that more. And sure, I could have waited till I got to the letter S to play Simple Minds. And I already played them in uh, episode F when it was a finale anyway. But Hunter and the Hunted has a particular significance for me. Well, other than that, another H thing to throw in there is that Herbie Hancock also lends his hands to part of the composition of that song. But Hunter and the Hunted, the reason why this holds a little bit of a a deeper niche in my life is um, last year I did a painting that I titled Hunter and the Hunted. And I'll I'll talk a little bit about what was going on in the image to give you an idea. The finished piece is 18 inches in height by 24 inches wide. The materials I used were a hardboard canvas and I put a blue foil adhered over the top of the canvas to paint onto because it created a reflective deep blue surface. Painting itself was done with acrylic paints and oil pastels. I will use oil pastels to give more of a depth to some of the flatness of, of acrylic paints. And I have gold adornments that were made from cut gold vinyl pieces of adhesive vinyl. And they are very much in juxtaposition from the sort of expressionist <laughs> style I paint in with a very rigid graphic in their very rectangular, but almost target-like in a way. Not target as in the store, but like a like if you're looking through a scope. And I, I illustrated those with Adobe Illustrator because I wanted to get the exact proportions before cutting. And then I aligned them to the canvas to using transfer tape the hand-painted wording on it. I used basically a gold pen. <laughs> so anyhow, the, the creation has many references within, and you know, without spilling every secret, I'll just point out the more obvious symbolism. First of all, like I said before, the title is Hunter and the Hunted, and it's derived from the title of that Simple Mind song. I always love the ambiguity of the lyrics, and there's a sexual energy to that melody and composition, and it's subtle. I wanted to do some work based on song titles. And at that time, it just it just totally fucking fit, you know, in my in the, in the frame of mind that I was having. Uh, secondly, the, the focus is a is a it's a ram. The reference is from a photograph that I had taken of uh, a wild ram just great, just kind of hanging out in a field looking at me. I just, well, the other thing is rams, sheep in general, they're pretty much the quintessential animal of Scotland. And Simple Minds are a Scottish band. And they are made up of of a herd of males who are competitive with one another. I uh, kind of wish they weren't because they'd still be an original lineup. But that's what happens when you got conflicting personalities that want to outweigh one another. Anyhow, the color choices that I used. I mentioned before with the blue foil. It's mostly a blue and white color palette, kind of like the Scottish flag. But the gold lines and flourishes are basically a nod to New Gold Dream. And the gold lines and boxes, like I mentioned before, is to evoke like an unclear target, which is it's a, it's a skew in the painting on purpose because you're not 
totally sure what you're aiming at here, except there's a ram looking at you head on. And finally, this is the last last uh, Easter egg I'm going to mention. Uh, in the middle of the forehead of the ram, I painted it wrinkled in a specific way to resemble vaguely female genitalia right in the dead center of the head. Do you want to know why? <laughs> because pretty much sex is always uh, is always going to be on the minds of a testosterone riddled ram. That's what they do is they fuck. They, they multiply quickly. <laughs> but sex is always supposed to be on the simple mind of the male. And in the image, you see a golden fleece of fur. And I have, it's white. And I have subtle schools of sperm swimming in it. <laughs> I know I'm laughing, but I actually was very serious about this. You know, I mean, there is a lot, there's more references in there that I am not going to, not going to go any further with, but that's the case. And I don't usually talk about my art. I really don't. I mean, I, I've mentioned that I fucking do graphic art and I've taken, you know, I've done photography or whatever, but I really do not explain I don't usually go into the flaky side of art artists talking about their motivations. That's not even me anyway. And I don't really do fucking exhibits or anything because I just can't schmooze with, I can't schmooze in the art community. I mean, I grew up with having my mom, she worked for an art center and, you know, and she was an artist herself, but she wasn't the type to schmooze either. But she had to cater to these fucking assholes. Well, I saw this as a kid and I couldn't fucking stand these kind of people because they are usually some people that had just had fucking money, but they didn't really work for it. And their art sucked, but they always had some fucking lengthy messages to what their deep meaning was or whatever. And my mother would have to sit there and humor these fucking idiots and then, you know, get their exhibits together or whatever. And her art was fucking eons better than the shit that they were doing. But unfortunately, that's even though she worked there, she had one or two pieces in a group exhibit, but she's just not a fucking showy kind of person. And I wouldn't really say I am either, despite having a vanity podcast, if that's what you want to call it. But yeah, I don't tend to talk about my motivations in art. I, I kind of find them a bit more personal. This one I talked about because, well, it does tie in with something I could describe on the show. And if you really wanted to see the art itself, you can find it on my website at JulesFinley.com if you care, which you probably fucking don't. Anyhow, what I was getting at is that that I need to work on more fucking art. That's what I need to goddamn do. And um, being in the lockdown, I should I think that should give me more than enough time. But of course, I'm sitting here whining about, you know, how my art never goes anywhere. It is pretty much my own fault. It's just a dead end, pretty much. Speaking of dead ends, let's play Boulevard of Broken Dreams. And no, not the shit by Green Day. It's by Hanoi Rocks from their 1984 album, Two Steps from the Move.
going to end it with I said before I was going to play Mick Harvey and I will play Mick Harvey and that's what I'm going to end this show with and what I'm going to play by him and I I want to note here that this is from his album Sketches from the Book of the Dead that came out in 2011 now Mick Harvey as we all I don't know if you all know. I mean, I've talked about him. If you don't know who the fuck he is, will you just fucking look his name up already? Mick Harvey tends to be more of a, I guess in a way, a session musician. But he, you know, like I said before, he's a member of the Bad Seeds. He's one of PJ Harvey's musicians. He was in Crime of the City Solution. He's all over. He really is. He's a, a He is basically the jack of all trades as far as musicians go play everything and he's not somebody who's he's not showy either he's not he doesn't he, he doesn't fucking toot his own horn nearly enough given the amount of talent he has but one of the things he doesn't tend to do is he doesn't really write lyrics because he's more of a musician however with sketches from the book of the dead this was his really his first foray into writing lyrics for his own material and i'm not sure if he always had it in him or not or being around fantastic um, lyricists like Nick Cave and PJ Harvey and Simon Bonney, if they were all influential on him. I mean, maybe that's why his, his he could write l- lyrics that are as fucking great as the ones on this album. I'm, I'm not sure, but he probably should have done it more often. But I, at the same time, that's, I don't really think that's his style, but he fucking nailed it. There's many songs on this album that are good, and I was thinking of going with October Boy, the first song on it, because it is a tribute to his very long-term friend that I played earlier in the show, Roland S. Howard. However, I don't really want to end it on that particular song, um, because that song really fucking is pretty gut-wrenching, I have to say, and I really didn't feel like 
ending this in such a somber note. So what I will do is I will play the very last song on this album because it's just he ends this album in a, in a good sign off. And that's what I will do with this episode of my Gurea. So what I'll be playing here is Mick Harvey's famous last words from Sketches from the Book of the Dead on Mute Records from 2011. Thank you for listening to this edition of my Gurea. I um, hope you will listen again in the future. We all get the same amount of eyes. Rich in the summer, poor in the winter. We don't all get to play with lunar dice. Throw the right number, you can still be a winner. You can be a king or a, a street sweeper. Everybody dances with the Grim Reaper. for a moment.